Um, but you know, Chico, I, I, I still, or coach Canales, I call him Chico. So, uh, Chico, I still keep up with him, you know, every month or so I'll, I'll shoot him a text and he'll shoot me a happy birthday or whatnot. And, you know, at the coaches convention this year, we got to sit down and really talk some ball and talk about all the good memories that we had. And, uh, so I was actually very tight with Chico and he, uh, he knew that I wanted to coach afterwards and he's kind of helped me along and he's always been a good uh, connection. Uh, someone to bounce some ideas off of. So that relationship is still ongoing and, can't say much more good things about that. Coach McCarney, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that's, you know, coming off the street from I'm obviously at Oklahoma State, but, you know, to, to be able to see, you know, someone, you know, that's hobbled or whatnot and that still can contribute to the team in the way that I could, whether it was on the field, off the field, um, you know, he's always talked about, you know, his walk-on programs and our walk-on program then was – nominal as you know we had you know i want to say nine nine of those starters that 2013 season were uh i think former walk-ons or uh played a huge part on special teams or defense or offense but uh you know that foresight and that ability to to spot uh, you know some, a diamond in the rough i think that's something that people don't talk about much with coach mccarney and he's always treated us well and um you know, transition to the Latrell area, I think, I think that walk-ons are just as important as the McCartney area. Don't get me wrong, but um, I think both of them have a heart for that. And I think that they both did a really good job. And I think that's what's created a lot of success for us over the years. So uh, in your time at UNT, you got to play against some pretty high caliber uh, college football team. What would you say would be the toughest not necessarily team, but what was the toughest atmosphere to, you know, try to, you know, just get your head in the game in? Um, I'll give you a couple. I think, uh, so the Florida game is, you know, it's the swamp. I think that was just, you know, they're a menacing defense. I think they're top 10 statistically in almost every category. Um, obviously they did pretty well that night against us. Um, you know, they, they broke some SEC records, I think, against uh, holding us down pretty well. Uh, but, again, they had, I think, three or four first-rounders. And if I think five or six top two or top three-rounders um, that year. So it, it's pretty crazy whenever, you know, D-tackle can, uh, you know, run step for step for with our inside linebacker or our inside receiver or Mason. Uh, you know, we try to double pass, and the D-tackle is trying to cover Mason and cover him up, and it's like, you know, a guy that's 350 pounds shouldn't cover our, you know, our quarterback. But that's just uh, an example of how freakishly athletic they were. And so it was hard um, to play in the swamp, obviously, because, you know, they're right up on you. I mean, they were five feet from your backs. And I think, you know, they didn't have any elevation. Most stadiums have elevation where they're kind of screaming down at you, where the first couple rows of the swamp are – you know, head level, you're seeing eye to eye against all these guys that, you know, take their shirts off because it's so hot and they're painted orange and blue. And, you know, they had some crazy fans and even rolling up to the stadium, you know, you had, you know, two miles of just tailgating at the swamp. And uh, it was pretty intimidating just to, just to see that gathering 
because, you know, they're all hooping and hollering, and it's still two hours before the game, and you, we hadn't really been in that kind of situation before. And then the other one, um, I know it's kind of weird, but the Liberty game. So it's out on the East Coast, and it's kind of tucked in the woods, but um, Liberty's that, that team where – they try to sneak up on a lot of people and they have a beautiful campus, all that stuff, but their student section is right behind you. And they are just obnoxious as like, they're funny. They're absolutely like, they looked up all of our Instagrams and whatnot and started talking about guys, girlfriends and like, you know what they did for the 4th of July. They went, they went down a couple of years for each one of us. And, and it was just funny because that was the game that had two or three rain delays. So they just had all this time to just go for every single person. They went through between me and Mason down to our O-line, down to our long snappers, to our kickers. Like they had – it was amazing because they stayed out there the whole time. And I think those were the some of the most loyal fans that we've ever played against because obviously it's, you know, a smaller school and it's like a private, you know, you know Christian university and whatnot. And that's not taking anything away from them, but – you know, you expect, you know, the, the guys from Florida to be obnoxious because of the rah, rah, Florida, go Gators. But, you know, Liberty was that, – that was a fun one. It, it was fun because you, you got those guys following you now and they they shot us DMs like, hey, you might have beat us real good, but we we got you on the sideline kind of thing. So it, that was a fun one. You know, you've played in a lot of bowl games over your time whenever you were at North Texas. You know, what was your favorite experience? I mean, obviously, when you win is the best. So 2013 <laughs> has got to be the best bowl experience, um, obviously winning. Um, but I think being in the Superdome down in New Orleans was awesome. I mean, that's that's the house Drew Brees built practically. So, um that's a really cool one. And, um, you know, the last couple obviously haven't gone our way. But I would definitely say that the atmosphere of the Superdome was pretty cool. And then obviously winning the, the Heart of Dallas versus UNLV that 2013 year was, you know, obviously a great experience. So how did the culture change from that 2015 season going on to the 2016 and then so on and so on? So 2015 obviously is hard, and anyone that's following us, you know, that's that's just a tough pill to swallow. Uh, we had great talent. I don't believe that you know it meshed well together. Um, I think there was a lot of voices talking. Uh, we need to do this. We need to do that. Um, you know, I, I don't. I don't believe that 111 was what was in that locker room. I think we could. have done much better obviously i think that our coaches have coached better i believe our players have played better i think the ball bounced wrong a lot of times um do, i'm not gonna say you know that's an undefeated team but um just going from that culture of you know there are a lot of voices talking no one really stepping up as a true leader to um coach Trell's era as you know we bring the program guys every single year and you know, it melds all of us together and, and that, you know, melting pot, the leaders show out. The leaders will always come to the forefront. Um, you know, you can have a lot of great teammates, but 
the fact that we have great team leaders over these last couple of years is because we've, you know, put everyone on the same playing level and whoever stands up and rises to the top, that's who, who leads us to battle. Um, so, you know, great team leaders, you know, they're, they're trying to accomplish their mission and then they take care of their teammates. So I think that is what we've prioritized. Uh, with North Texas, obviously, the last couple of years. Um, I don't believe that that was certainly the statement that we had in 2015, but obviously we've changed that around to a winning culture. You know, you made your first appearance um, on, at Apogee against Lamar. You know, what was that like? So that Stepping was, onto the field. Right. I mean, that's awesome. I think, you know, obviously we're up by a bunch of points, so it's kind of some mop-up duty, but... Um, you know, just getting getting into the game, it it tells you that all of your hard work has actually paid off. Uh, you know, I I'm not one to slack off on work. I, I was always considered one of those workout warriors kind of guys, and always at the film room and doing everything I can to to help the team, whether that was mentoring Mason or you know helping the the freshmen get along. But uh, it was time. It was a time that I could kind of selfishly have for myself. You know, take a deep, deep breath or deep couple of breaths and, you know, make something happen that, you know, I had been training for my whole life. So I, I couldn't tell you how happy I was, obviously, in that moment and in that game. And that obviously we had, you know, come out with a W. So that was the most important thing, but selfishly, it, it felt really good. So explain what was it like coming into the FAU game unexpectedly and leading your team over a pretty good FAU team. So, yeah, obviously we had some rough stretches against FAU. Um, just about, you know, obviously the, the year before we had played them twice and, you know, didn't, didn't go so well. Um, that year, you know, we're, we're sticking out to them, and I think we're up by uh, – or we were a pretty tight game, but uh, the ability to show that Graham had trust in me and he kind of had his own playbook for me uh, rather than because Mason and I had a little bit of different attributes, obviously, and so that he knew what I was comfortable with and the ability to run, obviously, is a big part of my game. Um, but, you know, I, obviously... I was super pumped to be in there as well. Uh, I, I give a lot of credit to Graham and uh, Coach Trail about, you know, always having me ready. And so I just made the play when it happened. I, I, I couldn't tell you what I was thinking at that moment. I was probably a little frazzled. I was probably, you know, I had some gray matter going in my head. But, you know, looking back on it, you know, it was probably two or three of the best minutes of my playing career. So. So um, shifting over more to the coaching side, uh, obviously, like I said earlier, you know, North Texas has lost its longtime quarterback in Mason Fine. And there are a lot of guys in that quarterback room that I think are really talented. And really, there's probably three or four of them could take that starting job. Um, now, do you see UNC using a dual quarterback system? Uh, you know, swapping out different scenarios, or do you see more of an established starter? Um, 
I don't think that's something that we have our mindset on right now. I think that we're just trying to get these guys back in for summer workouts and for fall camp and to be able to to really get the to bait their brains and try to get the reps going because none of these guys have whether they were behind Mason and I or whether they were just behind Mason last year. You know, the starter gets 60, 70% of the reps and it's hard to divvy up the rest of the percentage up to the other guys. So now, you know, they get 10 to 15 reps in a practice. Now they're getting 50 reps in a practice each. And so I think that's just going to, you know, we got we to pick their brain, what they're comfortable with, what they can dissect, what they can read, and what their ability is. Um, obviously, each one of them brings a different skill set. I don't know if a dual system or a dual quarterback is in the card, but I don't. I think that we're going to get multiple guys on the field. And um, whether it's, you know, a kind of a trick play or uh, – some kind of, you know, some, uh, a wrench to throw in a, a Texas A&M's uh, game plan or SMU's game plan or Houston's game plan where they have to say, hey, they've got multiple quarterbacks can, that can do a lot of things. And if they're all in the field at the same time, you know, what are they going to do? Are they going to just run their thing or are they going to introduce something new? So I think that's something that we've always got in the back of our head that, hey, the harder it is for teams to game plan for us, the better it is for us. So I think I think that that's something that you know we we might uh, experiment with uh, if something arises that. But I think all these guys are capable of being very good college quarterbacks, and I think that fall camp, you know, obviously sucks having not having spring ball, but fall camp's the true test. You know, what was it like transitioning from being a quarterback at North Texas to being a quarterback coach? So I've been a coach on the field for as long as I know. Um, whether it was in high school, uh, there would be times that my coach would let me call series, uh, call some drives, or you know, up in Connecticut, I was um, doing the same kind of thing where I, I could call the number, my number. I could you know have a read option. I could have you know any type of pass play I wanted. I could audible out of anything. Um, so I've always had that coaching mindset because I've develop my mind to watch film and be able to see from the quarterback's perspective. Um, I think that is very easy now as, you know, a quarterback coach because I was in those shoes not too long ago. And that's how I develop my brain because a lot of people will see the wide side of the field where it's, you know, the offensive line versus the defensive line. And then all the secondary, you know, all the receivers and whatnot, where I see almost like an end zone copy in my head where, hey, this is my first, second, third, fourth read, you know, what coverage are they playing and what and what read is going to be good against that, that coverage. So um, that's how I played. And so the transition to be a coach and to decipher, hey, this team's a cover four team, hey, they're going to play quarter-quarter halves or whatnot um, and how to attack that uh, specific area. Um, I wouldn't say it's – it's been seamless or anything because there's a lot more going into coaching, but I think that, you know, with the X's and O's and translating it to the quarterbacks, you know, we have in our room, I think that uh, it's helped me a lot that, you know, I'm fresh out of the game. So what kind of kept you at North Texas instead of going into the high school coaching? Cause you said you did coach and you wanted to coach before. 
or going into the work world? What kept you wanting to stay here? So it's kind of funny. So when I was rehabbing my foot, uh, that 2013 season, that 2014 season, um, I obviously didn't travel because I was medical red shirt and red shirt. And so every Friday we'd have walkthroughs uh, with our with our team and whatnot. And then they would fly to, you know, Florida Atlantic or Western Kentucky, any of those you know different spots. And I would drive up to Oklahoma City and help coach my high school team. And they would send me the game plans all week. And I would kind of talk to the quarterbacks and see what they saw. Obviously, I didn't get to see practices, but, you know, I would show up on game day you know, kind of be, you know, a kind of a coaching assistant where I would step step back and help the quarterbacks with mechanics or whatnot or reads that I saw that the other guys might not have that fresh perspective that I did. So those two years, I, I helped Coach Harridge Hall. Um, <laughs> what's funny is that I, I helped Coach Harridge Hall beat Mason Fine in high school. So that, that's a little fun tidbit. But uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, specifically enjoy – uh, high school. Um, it just, I wanted it to be a little bit more competitive and I love college football and I love, you know, NFL football. And if, you know, I can get to the pinnacle of one of those two, I would, that's a blessing. Um, so I think I'm going to stay in college or, uh, even jump up if I can. But, um, the reason I stay at UNT, I had always talked to coach trail about, um, my my want to coach and I like it like I said Chico knew coach Trell knew Graham knew and at the moment when I was a senior I was like hey coach what what should I do should I stay here um through my pro day and then coach or should I you know because he had already lined up a couple of different places that I could go interview at and at that time you know Graham had left for USC I trained for pro day uh, Coach Trell actually, you know, hit me up and said, hey, I need you to come get these guys transition into because you knew Graham's offense and you knew how he could, he taught the quarterbacks. And I need you to teach our new offensive coordinator, Bodie Reader, how he uh, everything else was taught and then what he wants to implement so that it can be a seamless transition. So I, uh, I'm not going to say I got roped into it because I love being at UNT and that was my first choice anyways. And I love that I'm still here. Um, but I was, uh, I helped to be a bridge gap between uh, Coach Harrell and Coach Reader. So I think that's what kind of stuck me out at UNT. And then now, obviously, you know, Coach Reader leaves to go to Utah State and we bring in Coach Blush and Coach Wallace. And it's just been amazing. I think those guys are some dudes. And I think that they bring a lot of uh, perspective from their coaching tree. And we're excited. <laughs> we're going to be, you know, letting it rip. Uh, and like Coach Latrell, you know, first said when he got hired, get high and let it fly. I mean, we're going to be trying to throw over people's heads and it's going to make people excited. So. so I have two questions for you. Um, the first one is just uh, what coach at UNT did you learn the most from in terms of, you know, like that guided you into this coaching role? Um, I think they all brought a lot to the table and I, I've, like I said, I've been through, you know, two or three now. So I think Chico brought a lot to the table as in, you know, how a college quarterback needs to 
prepare, needs to act, needs to, you know, be in that situation where there's a pre-snap uh, read, there's a post-snap read, there's uh, cadence, there's signals, there's audibles, there's all this, you know, meshed into one position. That's the quarterback. And you have to be the ultimate prepared leader out there because if you didn't prepare, you let down 10 other guys because they don't, they can't audible for you. They can't make any calls for you. They can't set the protection for you. You have to know that. And if you can't know that, you can't play. So I learned a lot under Chico, uh, whether it's reading defenses or having to be, having to be a quarterback on the field. Um, and by that point where Coach Harrell comes into play, uh, he has always been you know, cool, calm, and collected. These are the reads. They're sacred. Nothing's going to bother these reads, and if they're they're open, throw it. Um, I think the simplistic uh, nature of Coach Harrell, uh, you know, fit into our culture very well because we knew exactly what we wanted to do, and we did it so well that defenses had to prepare for us rather than us having to prepare for defenses, which is, you know, the name of the game. Like I said, the more things that they have to learn from your game plan and the less that you have to put game plan for them, you're going to execute much higher rate than they are. And then, you know, obviously they play for Coach Reader, but, you know, he had the fine detail and he combed through every single detail every single day. And I think that's something that to be said as, yeah, it might have been, might have been a little bit more playbook than our past, but it's something that, you know, I think a lot of teams use and that I'm going to use future in my coaching career as in I'm a very detailed person. I'm a very disciplined person, uh, whether it's on or off the field and, you know, coaching my quarterbacks, I think I'm going to take a lot more detail into meetings so that they know, Hey, it's not just one, two, three, four. It's one because of this. It's two because they rotated here. It's three and so on. So I want to give my quarterbacks enough information so that they know that it's foolproof. It's not just a, hey, it's that because I said so. It's, hey, it's that because this is the read and this is why the read is successful. So um, the next question I have for you actually goes back to Coach Harrell, and I'm glad that you talked about him. So um, this is more of a college football in general question. Um, he has Keaton Slovis, as you know, and um, he threw for 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns this past season. So do you think that you can see Slovis really, you know, taking his game to the next level? I know he had uh, – Coach Harrell last year, but with another year of Coach Harrell that he could make a big jump and possibly make the run for Heisman? I, the sky's the limit for anyone that Coach Harrell plays for, or whoever plays for Coach Harrell, sorry. Um, obviously, you know, they had JT Daniels as their quarterback before that, and JT was, a you know, the five-star. I think he was, like, the highest-rated guy a couple of years back. Ends up transferring this year, but I mean, that guy was a dude. That, that guy was a Heisman hopeful in his own right before the season. And I think that anyone that's tied to this air raid is going to be able to put up numbers. And the air raid is such a beautiful thing because not a whole lot of people know this, but a lot of people, a lot of teams in college football have some type of air raid concept because they know that, you know, crosses 
awesome or mesh is sacred or, you know, all these different variations to where uh, we can get guys open and it's a true progression. It's very easy on the quarterback because, like I said, it's the, this, the reads are sacred and that, you know, you get a guy that's accurate, is anticipatory, knows his reads like the back of his hand, you're going to throw up numbers and a lot of them. And I think that Keaton Slovis has great confidence, obviously coming in as a freshman and get, throwing up those numbers, even though he was the backup at the beginning of the year. I think that uh, says a lot about Coach Harrell because he does groom his backups just as well as his starter. Um, obviously, you saw it with me. You you know, you could see it from, um, you know, Mason, obviously, because at, he wasn't even the starter his freshman year. Alec Morris was. So every single backup that he's had has been successful. I think that is a testament to how well Coach Harrell can prepare guys and how this air raid can throw up numbers just with an accurate quarterback that knows the system and that can put the ball there on time. So, like I said, sky's the limit for Keaton Slovis. And, uh, you know, they've got some playmakers out there. You know, best of luck to all of those guys. Hopefully, you know, they go 12-0, and we go 12-0, and we play them in a bowl game. You know, that, that would be some – that would be a miraculous thing, but, you know, something that I, I dream of. You know, obviously you were a team leader during your time at North Texas and that senior year in 2018, you were on the um, Danny Werfel Award watch, watch list, which was um, which is academic excellence and athletic leadership. You know, what was that like to see yourself on that short list? So obviously, obviously that's, you know, awesome to be on that stuff. Um, I think being on the Danny Werfel watch list is – you know, a dream come true. It's not many guys are nominated, much less, you know, actually nominated and and selected for the semifinalists and whatnot. Um, it, it It's something that I didn't know a whole lot about before college, but I knew that, you know, I think Andy Flushy, a guy a year before me, you know, was also on the watch list. And, it, and it's a testament to your character. Uh, your leadership, your on and off field activities. Um, I, they took into account that I'd done a lot of community service for Keep Denton Beautiful and uh, some special Olympics programs, which is awesome. And I don't want to take away from that watch list or anything, but what was more special to me is being a leader on our team. Um, I was nominated team captain, and and that's something that you know I'll forever cherish and that – uh, there was, you know, there's a couple team captains that 2018 year and 2017 year and whatnot. Um, but just to see that my peers, uh, put me in that limelight and for me to fulfill that and my coaches to be able to say that, you know, I, I was someone that could, you know, rise above the rest in terms of being a connector because that's, I see team leaders and team captains that, that bridge gap between the team and the coaches. Cause the coaches can't always say, you know, this is what we look for. This is what we need. And the team can't always go to the, the coaches and say, Hey, this is, you know, what we need and what we look for. But those team captains are a bridge gap to where, Hey, we can, we can send this message through you, disperse it to the proper channels kind of thing. And I think that's why 
every single year, every single year, team leaders and team captains are so highly regarded in college football is because, yeah, those are the mediators or the moderators through which, you know, a, a culture or an organization really thrives on. So uh, back to your question, you know, the watch list was, you know, great and selfishly that, you know, something I can always put on my resume or whatnot, but being that team captain, being that team leader, uh, I worked very hard for that because that's always something that I wanted to stand in those shoes. So how has college football changed from your first year to your last year and maybe in a playing perspective or even a coaching perspective? Um, so the biggest transition, I think, so I always said this from Oklahoma State to North Texas, the biggest transition just purely from the external perspective is that um, the funding or the money that goes into Oklahoma State is bar none. I mean, obviously they had T Boone Pickens, um, you know, as a as a huge donor, and they had that indoor and whatnot. So they had the indoor, and then they could feed their athletes almost unlimited resources, uh, unlimited meals, and whatnot. Where you know to be on the same level playing field, uh, North Texas and Oklahoma State both had the tutoring, both had you know, study hall, both had, you know, extracurricular activities for all their athletes. But the two things that stood out between North Texas and Oklahoma State was that indoor and that, you know, health and nutrition. Well, coming to the fact that 2013, 2014, 2015, we really didn't have that. But with Coach Charles era, they've identified their researchers. As you can see, that indoor practice facility is sitting right there next to Apogee Stadium. And it is gorgeous. It's top of the notch. Something that we're going to use, we use it daily. Um, something that gives us an edge on all of our competition. And then the fact that we have Charles Ashford as our sports nutritionist is bar none, probably the biggest change that we've had um, since I've been at North Texas. Uh, the nutrition that we get now, whether it's extra protein shakes, extra you know snack uh, replacement shakes uh, for before and after, practice or the dining hall uh, accessibility at champs um it's it's not even close because there is times that in the you know those early seasons in mccarney's era that we didn't have those funds for the sports nutritionist you know we'd have guys losing 10 12 pounds during a fall camp you know two a day and we couldn't replenish their body with stuff that we could get then we would just say hey go to walmart drink pedialyte you know get your way back up we gotta go two a day tomorrow. Whereas now we, we can look to Charles and say, hey, we need a meal replacement shake on top of the mass gainer that he's given us, on top of what he can send home with us for an extra snack. And then we got to get back up to champs in the morning so we can eat breakfast so we can be ready to go for practice. So, you know, I know that that's probably not what you were asking for the biggest changes, but, you know, the biggest jumps for UNT athletics were definitely the indoor practice facility and Charles Ashford. So, um, you know, this season I've been looking over the schedule and there's there's quite a few big games uh, that UNT is going to be playing. Is there one that, you know, stands out above the rest that you're excited for, whether that's, you know, A&M or that's, you know, the big rivalry with SMU? Obviously, you know, we want to beat SMU every single year. I mean, I, I forget. I think it's the Midway series that we call it or whatnot. Um, but... Dang. All right. Well, you got me on that one. 
Uh, we haven't beat them too often. I think that we beat them whenever we ran June Jones out of our stadium uh, and they fired him right after that game. Um, but they've definitely had our number and that's always a really big game because A, that's you know our, our out-of-conference rival. It's someone that we look forward to every single year. B, it helps our in our recruiting. Uh, all in honesty that you know, if we ever recruit that's battling with us versus SMU and that year that we beat SMU by whatever, however much, they say, hey, I'm going to go to this team that, you know, that is a bowl contender where SMU, we might knock SMU out of the bowl contention with one of their, an extra loss or whatnot. Um, so it, it's always been kind of a, a rivalry where, and it's, what, 50 miles apart. Uh, I think that we have a really good home stadium where we can fill up our, our stadium to max capacity. I know that SMU, you know, kind of struggles to fill up their stadium, but we do our part and we send all our students and we send all our, you know, buses down there. I think that's a, a great way for all of our students to say, Hey, we're, we're not just part of Apogee. We're, we're really a fan base that wants to follow our team. And, uh, you know, we can all bust down there and have a good old time down at SMU. So uh, I love that rivalry, but you know, it's hard to go against not not say Texas A&M. I mean, we're going to go to you know Kyle Field, and uh, that thing is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, stadiums in in America right now. And I know that they fill it up every single game. They have a loyal fan base. They have a you know a, a Die, die hard fan base and that that's our that's our competition i mean everyone says hey we want the best and we want to beat the best well everyone on our schedule isn't a power five and we we can circle up that game and say hey those are gonna be the best guys coming out of texas and it, it means a lot for our guys because a lot of the guys that are at texas and m were picked over our guys that you know came to north texas whether they were ranked higher, whether recruited more, doesn't matter. You're going to be still in that same playing field. And, you know, if you beat their butt that, that Saturday, that gives you that you know extra boost of saying, hey, I belong in this field. I belong just as highly touted as you guys because, you know, that scoreboard doesn't lie. So I think that Texas A&M is big for our guys and, you know, big for our, our, the name of North Texas. You know, you guys pulled a big um, quarterback um, about a month ago. You know, Amani Gilmore. Even though he won't be eligible this year, you know, what are you got? What are you most looking forward to from him the twenty twenty one season? Uh, I think that he, you know, obviously we haven't had a whole lot of discussion. We've had him on some Zoom meetings, and uh, we're itching to get him just in front of our eyes, whether it's in workouts or you know some player run practices or whatnot. Um, I think that. You know, he's a guy that we look and see he has a lot of tools. And just like the rest of our guys in our room, I think that you all know that, you know, whether it's, you know, Will Keeney, Cole Johnson, Austin Ani, Jason Bean, Casey Martin, any five of those guys that we have right now or uh, in our room, you know, they all can throw it. They can all run it. You know, they all have uh, a good grasp of our, our concepts right now. Well, you just throw that guy in there with all his tools, whether he can run, throw, you know, he's already been in a, a, a power five offense in Kentucky that, you know, what does he bring to the room? He brings a lot because he brings, you know, 
uh, a cool, cool and calm uh, kind of composure because he's been in those big stadiums that our guys might not be accustomed to him. And he probably had reps against their first team defense, uh, whether it's scout team when he registered or whatnot, where, you know, those guys are flying around. They've got some guys that are being drafted and whatnot. So he's going to have, you know, a step up or a leg up on a lot of our guys just having some of those reps. Um, yeah, it will suck that, you know, he gets to sit out. But I think that's also another time for him to kind of hone in on his, you know, athletic ability, hone it into being a quarterback. And then it gives us a full year to implement what we want him to know in our offense and how we see it through our eyes. And hopefully we can, you know, translate that to say, hey, Amani, this is how we see it. This is how you should see it. And hopefully over a year, he'll help us in every certain way. But, you know, come next spring, he's going to be fighting for that quarterback job. And I know he's hungry for it. It's a little bit fun question, I would say. Do you have like a favorite or least favorite uniform combo? Oh. Uh, I've always been a pretty uniform guy as in like, I know a lot of guys liked like the green, white, green or like the chrome top with the gray and the black. I've always liked the all black or all white. Um, I thought that uh, when we first had the all blacks, I think it was Halloween. I think might have been that 2013 season where they had the stand. Um, I can't remember if it was all black, but I think that was one of those nights that, you know, they brought out the new jerseys and whatnot. And that was that was really cool. Um, obviously, we've changed our black helmets once or twice uh, with different kind of patterning, and then we got that matte black. Uh, the matte probably would be my favorite helmet, the matte black with the, the green eagle. Um, and then just go ahead and go all the way down with all the black. Uh, the icy whites were pretty cool to see just because I always remember Arkansas and the fake punt. Uh, fake fair catch. I mean, that's that's the one that everyone's going to know of because obviously Keegan Brewer is a legend, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and narrow it down to those two. Now, I have to say, I maybe you can put in a good word. I don't know. You probably, I don't know. I really like the helmet uh, with the eagle that is uh, has the American flag in it. Okay, that's sweet. I think that one it needs to come back. I mean, that, that one was awesome. I think it probably will come back because I know Coach Trell loved it a lot. Um, I was actually at Coach Trell's house yesterday, yesterday after work. And, you know, he's obviously has his OU Boomer Sooner going on, North Carolina, Indiana, Arizona, Texas Tech. And North Texas is obviously, you know, the one right up in front. And it's the, the American Eagle or the American flag eagle one. And I know that's a special one in his heart. So I mean, whatever that guy says goes. So I can't imagine us not bringing that back, to be honest. Well, I mean, I think it'd be cool. You can almost do like uh, almost like numbers too, something special, you know, because they have military appreciation. And I think that'd be, that's the perfect time to wear it. Um, but I, I definitely would like to see that come back. Um, I think that is all from us. Thank you so much for being on. Uh, yeah. Fun. Um, but I'm, we're definitely looking forward to this season. Um, I know uh, we, we were talking the other day uh, once 
uh, Governor Abbott said that it can go to 50%. Uh, we really feel that by the time it gets to September, October, it'll be 100%. And I'm looking forward to that because I most certainly want to be at every home game that we have um, this season. I have high expectations. Um, I am, I'm really excited just overall because it's a fresh start is what it is. Uh, you know, we had, coming off this great quarterback, there's high expectations, of course, but I, I really, uh, think that, you know, getting a new quarterback in there is going to bring some change and I think it's going to be a good thing. Um, but yeah, like I said, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, we wish you the best of luck this season. Um, and uh, can't wait to see what happens. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Like I said, you know, I want Mean Green Nation to come back full force. And with that, you know, going around and saying 50%, I just, by September 1st, I hope that's 100% because I want all you guys out there. I want Mean Green Nation back. Uh, this quarantine sucked because we couldn't give you guys any spring ball information. We couldn't give you guys any tidbits. Uh, I want, you know, I bleed green. Uh, you guys kind of took me in. Obviously, I transferred in, but you guys took me in, and I've been here forever. I've been here longer than dang near anyone in the office. So, uh, you know, I, I can recollect on, you know, the McCarney days and now the transition to the Coach Trails days and even new coordinators and whatnot. Um, I will always love everyone at this university. I will always love uh, what football has done for the university uh, just as a global uh, logo or a standpoint where now we're a tier one institute. Uh, we're getting our name out there for all the right reasons. And I think that football is leading that charge. Um, and that just, you know, uh, that should bring the Munger Nation even more fans and our alumni in the DFW. I want all of you guys to come out uh, and sell out that home stadium because every single year that we have, you know, that rising winning percentage that, you know, uh, the stadium attendance just rises and, you know, that that's our ultimate goal is just to have everyone come in as a community and, you know, cheer on a winning team. So uh, that's my job as a coach, bringing you guys a winning team. So you guys got to bring the, bring the fans come, uh, come get, come game days. I know we are, we are definitely planned to do that. Well, thank you once again for joining us. And that's going to be all from us at three and a half guys. We'll see you next week.